Welcome to the Lady Palace Podcast. We are your hosts, Bella and Amanda. We're just a couple of gals who are on a mission to shake up the status quo around women's health. Come and delve into the depths with us as we start the conversations to empower, educate, create change and connect you back home into your lady house. Now it's up to every woman to know what's inside of the ovaries, the womb, every part of her vagina. They're different sizes, shapes and all colours. Life starts from a yoni, straight from our mothers. Fertility. New creation and the taboo. Let's start a conversation. Your yoni is your homie, so lift her up higher. Ladies, say you're proud. I love my vagina. Woman, power, goddess, flower, lady, palace, click, click, boom. I'm a woman and my body is a temple, and my yoni is connected to my mental. All right, it's the Boom Tang Clan with Valerie and Amanda. Welcome, Asha Packerman. Uh, so excited to have you on board to kick off our season two for our podcast. And this season is dedicated to the men in our lives. And you are a mytholo- like almost like a mythological creature yourself with all the stories and poems that you weave and the men's wisdom that you share holding circles um, and also owner of Fifth Direction and meditation teacher uh founder of do you also a director of the australian meditation or you're just holding the conference there yeah no no i'm, I'm actually well you know president of Pre- meditation australia which is like the industry body for meditation teachers across australia and, and new zealand um so yeah no i've been doing i've had that role um since 2017 so been a while that's amazing um, so welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And maybe for those of our listeners who haven't heard of you before or, you know, haven't really heard your story, um, could you share sort of how you got into the space that you're in and just a little backstory into Asha Packman? Yeah, it's a, it's a broad question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, on a foggy day on yeah. 5th, 1968, <laughs> I was born. No, um, it's uh, – I, I began, you know, just typical upbringing, I guess, in sort of Melbourne and, you know, school and university and things, and then went on to have a bit of a, a corporate career. Um, but um, I kind of faced some hurdles, uh, I guess, around 12, 13 years ago, um, which actually began – sister taking her own life and um, yeah that was um, followed not that long after by, by my mother um, doing the same and um, shortly after that I got diagnosed with blood cancer so I had these kind of events kind of quite close together which really kind of um, obviously went straight to my core you know really kind of tore me down the middle in a lot of ways and um, I started to um, you know, take a long, hard look at my own life and, and realise that, you know, I'd been deeply unhappy for a very, very long time, you know, and I can trace um, um, anxiety and depression way back in our family and it's certainly been something that I've been carrying even since I was a young boy, you know. Mm-hmm. But you kind of find these ways of, you know, wrapping yourself in a suit of armour and just kind of getting on with business. So I was kind of like a high-functioning 
as someone with mental health issues, but also high functioning. And so, you know, when those things happened, I, I, I couldn't function anymore in the same way. And I had to kind of start with the blank canvas. Actually, ended up in a, in a psych ward for a little while. It got things got that things became that unraveled. Mm-hmm. Um, but through you know various practices, you know, breath, meditation, um, lots of reading, journaling, all sorts of things, I kind of pieced myself back together and, and, and decided that I didn't want to go back to the corporate life and, and started the path that I'm currently traversing. Yeah, I mean that's a it's a huge it's such a big story, right? In terms of like what creates that catalyst, that profound catalyst for change but also to how our Western world really drives us to be, to really suppress things down and not be able to create space for us to even have an awareness around those certain things as anxiety and depression because we just start, we just start to normalise it. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, certainly, you know, in my family it was pretty common, so you kind of just that's the way it is right yeah Yeah. you know but for me you know the antidote to it was to just look for more ways of distracting myself and numbing myself out from what was really going on inside me externally of myself yes Um, so you know um promotions at work you know um Mm. more girlfriends bigger house bigger car more money in the bank that sort of thing those like external validations that we're given, right? We mm. have these things and I'm supposed to be happy, but I found that more of those things that I got, you know, it either didn't make any difference or it actually made things more complicated. Mm. Um, and for us, it's, I think, you know, you know, I'd like to say that basically the universe gives you the lesson at the level you need it. And I don't think that I was going to listen or stop for anything else other than those huge cataclysmic events. I don't mm. think anything else was going to stop my trajectory. Yes. Um, I call it the feather, the brick in the train. It's like, you know, the universe is constantly kind of tapping you on the shoulder if you're not in alignment with, you know, who you really are and, and your values and, and what you're here to do in the world. Because I think we each are born with a set of unique instructions on our soul and the idea is to uncover them and then execute on them. Yes. But, um, you know, so so for me, you know, there was plenty of feathers, plenty of tickles under the chin saying, hey, action, you know, take a look at what's going on here. Um, and I didn't pay any attention, just did the more, more, more thing, externalised, and, you know, then I got the, the brick in the face and eventually I got the train wreck, you know. So, but that's required. You know, you, we need this sort of descent into soul mm-hmm. to understand who we really are. It doesn't happen through spiritual ascension, which is what I feel like we're all chasing mm-hmm. at the moment. I see people out there doing their yoga and doing their meditation and doing all this stuff, but it's about up, 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 and we're told that that's the way. Yes. You know, to ascend into some spiritual plane, but you know, I'm here to tell you, you know, the way to true um, enlightenment is kind of the other way. Yes. It's about down. What I call it growing down rather than growing up. Mm, that's really, a beautiful way to we put have to it. Get into the dirt we do, matter, and we have to face the things that make us truly uncomfortable about ourselves in order to um, reveal the gold. Mm. Oh, yeah. completely. Such a, I love that analogy too. It is, it's going deep within the depths of the darkness, isn't it? To, Completely. To really find the light. But I think that, I mean, for so many of us, that, that work is too hard, right? I don't want to have to face what's hard. 
Um, and so in that, Asha, like how do you, because there is such, I think this, the world is so imbalanced as we know between like the masculine and the feminine. Um, and where, I mean, for us as women, it's like we've had to go back and find ways of being able to access our feminine because we've been living in such a, a masculine type roles. And so I know that like with Garth, cause Garth has seen you, um, at fifth direction for the men's circles that you hold. How is it that you get men because what I see a lot of in clinic as well as Bella is that there's so much disconnection. Men don't are almost too afraid to go in to do the work to see maybe the, the warrior type that they are um, or whatever that potential archetype is. Is that how do you know, how do you get men to go to want to create that curiosity to be, explore a little deeper to go into that darkness? You know, it's interesting. I, going back to what I just said um, previously with this sort of inclination to ascend and and to rise, that's a masculine trait because Mm -hmm. spirit is masculine, spirit is above, you know. um, The other direction down into the dirt is Mother Earth, is soul, which is the divine feminine underneath us. And so... You know, we're taught to go up, we're taught to go into the masculine, we're taught to go into spirit and rise and, you know, transcend and all those things. So, you know, some of the innate fear that men have around diving into their feminine is because they have to go to those uncomfortable places. Mm-hmm. You have to actually look at the aspects of yourself which you, you know, um, which you don't like and which you've deliberately cut away from yourself and exiled off into the, the deep forest of the unconscious so that you don't have to deal with it. That's all feminine work. You know, soul work yes. is inherently feminine. Like, you know, you, you go back to all the ancient cultures, um, shamanism is feminine. Mm. You know, and it's about going towards soul. It's about going to the shitty, bloody, messy, muddy places where we don't want to be. And so I believe that, you know, part of this um, identity of masculinity, of, of, of cutting yourself off from the feminine is, is around fear of having to look at those parts of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that becomes projected out onto women or anything feminine. You know, um, you know a great mentor of mine often says, um, why do you think they're cutting down the Amazon? Because it's dark and moist and wet and feminine. Mm, it's the yin. <laughs> it's the yin aspect, yeah. isn't it? Which is Mother Earth. Which is that Mother Earth. Yeah. That's it. And then, and then you can connect the dots onto why we're being so environmentally destructive and all these mm. other things. Like it all plays. Mm. It's all aspects of the same story. Isn't it? Which is a representation of the womb. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And we so, all come from a womb you know, as well, we, which we, we forget. I actually think that... Um, some of the psychology that we're taught also has a part to play in this. Like for me right now, there's a pandemic running alongside um, yeah, the, the current ones that we're seeing in the world, and that is there's a there's a positivity pandemic as well. Yes, because you know we're told just to look at the bright side or to flip the story, and if we don't see the dark side of things, we never actually get to go to those places. Yeah, it's like that spiritual bypass. We we never fall into grief. We're told that that's, you know, that's sort of not a place you want to stay. Yet There's Mm. so much learning in that. Mm. You know, I spent a bit of time in Africa and the way that 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 culture 
handles grief compared to the Western way is, is so diametrically opposed, it's unbelievable. And as a result, we end up traumatized. Mm. So we're not allowed to go there. But therefore, we're cut off from the family. Totally. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> I lived in the Middle East for about five years and speaking about grieving, they would, when someone would pass, so we were part of a, a kingdom, so there was a royal family and there was a stage where there were about three members of the royal family that passed and we had about a month off and I was 13 at the time, so we were like, yeah, we get like a month off school. But they would go into full mourning. So they would spend like two weeks for each person and they would be out on the street. They would do it in, you know, their own homes, but there would be such a grieving and a processing, which I like think is so commendable and so beautiful because you create that space and you also show that to the future generations. Like this is part of our culture and this is part of feeling those feelings and let it sit for what, you know, comes up, not just rush onto the next thing, you know, just taking a day or two and being like, oh, it's okay, I'm good. I have to get back into that space of, you know, just the yang, do, 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 just push it down, repress it. Um, But maybe I was going to ask before, so you were saying about the feather and the train. So for the guys that are listening, that if they have that, inclination towards the feather and if they can feel that tap on the shoulder hey something's not 100% right you know deep down there's you know misalignment somewhere or you're not living you know the most truest wonderful most beautiful life you possibly can where do you usually recommend for guys or women to start if they are feeling that tap and they are feeling that feather do you say meditation is the first place to go or is there something from your journey that, you know, you would recommend? What does that sort of look like? Yeah, look, it's a great question. I, 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 let's, I want to just complete that piece on grief first because I loved what you said yeah. there. Um, and, you know, for me, you know, a culture which grieves is able to grieve like that is, 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 is mature, you know. It's um, mm. like they're doing something right. And for me, you know, grief is praise. Like, you know, grief and joy are literally, you know, two sides of the, the same coin. And, you know, the amount to which you grieve only shows the amount to which you care, the amount to which you love. So for a lot of men, you know, turning towards that grief, turning towards that feminine, it's actually the gateway to love. You know, because a lot of men, you say, what are you feeling in your heart? And they say, nothing. It's just like empty. And I'm like, okay, well, start with grief. You know, whether that's, ecological or loss of loved ones or, or loss of um, dreams that you had when you were a young boy, you know, wanted to be a football player. There's got, you know, we just pass these things over when they're, they're actual, they're actually deaths that we have along the way and we've forgotten to grieve them. You know, they're little deaths and when we can go back and actually feel, really feel, you know, the grief of that loss, um, then we can start to feel something in our hearts. And then we ask, well, why are you feeling grief around that? Why are you feeling grief that you had this dream as a young boy to be a football player and now you're not? Like, well, because something died in you and the reason that you care so much is because you love yourself, right? So you can then flip that grief around into love. So for, for men, often the gateway to feeling is, is grief, not love. Yeah. Um, and that's a feminine 
aspect, right? It's a feminine aspect. So, and that's why the breath is so important. You talk about things to do. Well, one of them is definitely breathing of some sort because, you know, as Chinese medicine tells us, the, the lungs are the grief keepers. And that's why when we're in grief, we often breathe really shallow because we don't want to tap into that grief because we're afraid it'll completely overwhelm us. So if you can actually start to get men to breathe really deeply and get into their lungs, often what will come up first is tears and grief. And sometimes I don't even know why. But it's just that the lungs that have been holding onto all this um, stuff for you know potentially decades. So they start breathing deeply and it all just swells up and comes out in, in tears. Um, and it's a great heart-opening moment for a lot of men. So breath work, really key. But stepping even Behind that, you know, you're asking about first steps. Talk to somebody. Like, you know, sit still, listen to that voice, you know, that gnawing in the guts that you're talking about that something isn't quite right, the feather. You've got to, you've got to articulate that somehow. Um, you know, maybe it's journaling, but, you know, I always say, just, you've got to talk. It doesn't necessarily have to be to a counsellor or someone professional. It just needs some, somebody. You know, I often say to, to, to men when they first arrive in the circle, find a man you can trust. Mm. You know, um, and that extends to find a woman you can trust. Find a human being you can trust mm. and just talk to them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Find that community somewhere. Yeah. And yes. another thing with men too is there's, a, there's often a very latent lack of trust of other men. And that's the same in women as well. I think we find that as well. It's been there's so many, the sisterhood has been broken. I mean, and I'm sure that's the same with the brotherhood as well, um, of just being able to find that person that you can really lean into and trust. Um, it's so hard. Cause and maybe it comes down to being in Australia, that tall poppy syndrome of, you know, constantly striving and in that sort of competitive space of I got to cut them down to get ahead, which is not inherent to our nature. That's not who we are deep down, but, you know, as a byproduct of society. society. Yeah. Mm. It's part of our nature. We can't yeah. deny it. If we deny that, we're repressing the shadow. Mm. Absolutely part of our nature to cut <laughs> down to get what we want. True. Like, which if, is... you, if you deny that that's inside you, you're, you're denying your wholeness. Yeah. Which we is... all have that. Um, and you can say you don't, but you do. It's unfortunate. We do. Yeah. Um, we... What it means to be a human being. Mm. So, you know, there is that. But I think what we're talking to here is the fact that we, our culture lives in, in ethos, it lives in our head, it lives in, you know, the rational world. Mm. This and that, black and white, right and left. And, you know, think about, you know, again, the pandemic is a great example of that. There was, you're either a mask wearer or you're not. You're either mm. vaccinated or you're not. And you've got to choose a team. And then once mm. you've chosen a team, it's just an echo chamber and your, your opinion gets validated, right? Yeah. And that's that's so – that's just all up in our head. There's no heart in that at all. Mm. Um, you know, it's what I call living a horizontal life, you know, yeah. a surface-level life. Yeah. And we need to move this to um, entertain our vertical existence as well where we can actually hold paradoxes and where both things can be true. Why can't it be true that there's research out there that says masks are good and research out there that says masks are bad? And I choose not to wear one, but I'm open. Yes. Yeah. Right? Um, and that's and that's a much um, more mature way to look at the world, and um, it, it, it involves 
the spiritual aspects of life as well as living in the ordinary where I'm a father and a, and a, and a, um, and a colleague and a brother and all these other things, mm-hmm. um, which is very linear. And I, and I think you're right there. It's like that vertical existence of then, you know, we have our feet fat, like firmly rooted to the ground into that base chakra into our soul meets the earth but in that in that in those muddy waters is that that is all about the shadow self as well isn't it because 100 percent. which is you know going back to that point i made before where we all kind of shook a little bit and felt uncomfortable when i said we've all got it you know it's just sort of cut other people down you know but so yeah so for me it's about how do i live with a foot in both worlds like yes. how, how do I show up for my roles and responsibilities in the horizontal world but also mm-hmm. have an equally robust vertical existence you know with, with soul below and spirit above and, and and when you think about it you know when we move from horizontal to to, to vertical that the pivot point to be in both is where well it's right in the center of your chest your heart chakra. Right. So, so when we're in our heart, we're able to be in both places and therefore it's, and also we can hold multiple truths and we can hold the paradox of life and we can be in the tension of opposites because everything's a tension of opposites, dark and light, um, birth and death. You know, life is, 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 that's what it is. It's a dance between, it's holding the tension. Yes. Um, I love that. And, and we do that when we soften into the, our heart. It's the only place that we can do that. You know? mm. So, and that requires work. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely requires work. Yeah. It's, it's an uncomfortable place to be um, mm. initially. And, it, and that's it. I was gonna. I was just thinking then, like the more work you do, the easier it actually becomes. The more comfortable you become with the uncomfortable of actually sitting with yourself. Hundred mm. percent. You know, it's like you know, I'm the big, I'm a Wim Hof guy. You know, I love that. It's like sitting in a nice bath, isn't it? You know, there's a lot of tensions to be held there, but after a while, um, you get used to it and then it becomes joyful. Yes. <laughs> isn't okay. it? The uncomfortable then becomes yeah. joyful. Yeah. Yeah, and I think if you look at that, um, the big thing about being in that kind of horizontal and vertical is also the fact that we, we our relationship to death, mm. because we don't talk about death much in our culture, and when we do, we kind of, we either kind of cover it up by having some kind of a, a, a religious idea which kind of takes care of it or we, we just won't let it be spoken about at all or whatever. But that means we're therefore one-sided. So very horizontal because we're not dancing in the tension there. And I think if, if we're able to see life as what happens in between birth and death and that life is not the opposite of death, but that birth is the opposite of death and life contains both, that's that's the vertical view and so then it really orients you and how to show up and you really understand what's important so you know i think some form of death practice is, is really really important and it doesn't mean that every single moment has to, has to be profound because you might die in the next one it just adds a layer of um um of showing up and a layer of being present um and I, so i think, I think that's missing too you're so right because even just thinking about back when you were saying about, you know, the, like those dreams that you have as a younger child that then become, you know, it's a death moment because you didn't get to, to live that dream is that then is that like playing into the cycles of life and those rites of passage, which we don't have any of those in our Western culture. So how are we ever to know, how, how do we ever 
relate to them being connected because we're not actually shown these paths and we don't have like these like the, the men in our lives or the father roles they haven't been shown this pathway either because we're not connected to tribe anymore we're just living these you know existence of just being isolated and alone or just in your own family unit so then where do you find that that guidance mm. yeah that's absolutely true Amanda and I think that all those initiations and rites of passage which are missing are all connected to death so it's, it's great you know that's what came up after after talking about death because and because it's not just physical death it's like you said it's all manner of deaths that we brush under the carpet you know it's mm, like yeah. how we deal when a relationship when a relationship ends for example um you know, let's go back to um, stereotypical masculine behaviour. You go out with your mates and you get really, really hammered and the advice that you get is, you know, go and get a shag as quickly as you can, get it out of your mind, mm-hmm. move off. Yeah. Right? And yeah. it's like, so therefore we, 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 we totally make the end of the relationship not sacred. Um, mm-hmm. We totally miss the lesson, we totally miss the initiation and we just take our bag of shit into the next relationship. So okay. um, it's just... It's, and that's just one example you see time and time again. So we've got to start honouring all these deaths and we've got to start grieving the losses and we've got to start, you know, um, being in the dirt a bit more and, and mining for that gold. You know, one of the things I like to say is, you know, in this culture we all tend to want to walk on water, but I say you've got to learn to swim in the dirt before you get to walk on water. Mm. <laughs> and yes. uh, I think that that's what's missing, I really do so you know when I say death practice it's people automatically jump to the physical death it's, it's that's just one of one of one of the many men do you run like death practices do you run that as like a course or anything um I did it um I used to do it like a lot I used to like it used to be um something that I really really focused on these mm-hmm. days um there's a lot going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what, what I do do is, you know, in all the courses that I run, there's, there's, there's specific sections mm-hmm. where we where we look at death and we look at our current relationship with death and, you know, I, I do a little timeline where people can go back and, and, and look at all the deaths that they've actually already had mm-hmm. um, and then go back and grieve them um, in a sacred way, like light a candle, write some notes, you know, then burn it all and then all, however you want that, mm-hmm. um, you make it sacred yeah. Um, I think it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful practice and people unearth things that are actually, you know, tears come and they're like, wow, I, I didn't even realise that that was kind of a loss. So you can still go back and, and learn the lesson and you're actually initiating yourself. You're actually giving yourself mm. lots of passage because, you know, you ask yourself questions like, what was that initiating me into that day? Yeah. You know, even though it happened when I was eight. Mm. So you can actually go back and still recover. Um, you know, whatever the lesson was there for you and kind of level up in consciousness that way. Well, that's, that's a great practice, practice to embody. And I guess and you can start that anytime, like when you feel, you know, safe and comfortable enough in your own body and space to be able to hold that space for yourself. Mm-hmm. But I think yeah. that's a really nice invitation for anyone at any life stage to go back and you'd probably be surprised how many little deaths, maybe medium deaths, larger deaths, there will be in your life. And even thinking about it now, we're probably all somewhat in a stage of mourning the death of what we thought we knew the world as or what we thought maybe the world was going or how we 
fit into that, you know, with the past two years and how the pandemic's changed everything. Like I think we're all collectively going through partly some sort of mourning or maybe not mourning, but I feel like we've all been through a little death. Yes, um, yeah, absolutely. For- that's, that's well put and, you know, it was an opportunity for us collectively as a collective rite of passage to actually go through something together. But I actually, my view is we kind of missed the opportunity by the way that we handled it because we handled it on a purely horizontal level. Think about it. When we're on a horizontal level in ethos, we look at numbers and stats. You know, the vertical level, the vertical way of looking at the world is no, not interested in, in facts and, and rationality. <laughs> something more mythical and something like, what does this actually mean? But you need to pick out the paper and all we talked about was numbers, how many vaccinated, how many deaths, how many in hospital, how many on ventilators, how many masks have been bought from wherever. Mm. It was literally, we were being, we, we looked at it in such a horizontal way and it was what was being shouted at us. Mm. So we completely missed the initiation of the rite of passage. And think about it this way, you know, rites of passage generally have kind of three stages to them. You know, there's, there's an initial separation from, from life. Um, and then there's a period of isolation where we face death. And then there's a return where we come back and we're not the same and the world is not the same. Mm-hmm. And so those, and, and think about it from the point of view of what happened in the pandemic. It was exactly that. We became separated from everybody else. We were literally isolated. <laughs> yep. Um, and then we've come back and we're not the same and the world's not the same, but we, we missed everything. All we did was try to get out of the isolation piece as fast as we possibly could because it's uncomfortable. Totally. Yeah. Right. Totally bypass that. relationship with yeah. death, it was being, you know, we literally got closer to a relationship with death than, than we have in a long, long, long time. It wasn't like any more people were actually dying. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at global numbers, not much changed. Um, we were just very, very focused on it through one particular lens, but we unfortunately missed the lesson. I'd love to know mm. in your eyes, Asha, what do you think the invitation was and what do you think the collective lesson, like where it was meant to go and what that maybe could have looked like if we were, you know, safe and happy to be in our shadow and to um, embrace what was coming towards us. I'd love to know just in your eyes what like that would have looked like. Well, um yeah, I certainly feel like, you know, in answering that question, I've sort of been asked to, to play God a little bit. But, um, you know, I think I think it's going to be quite you know, individual. But for me, it's clearly got something around um, the way we're currently being in the world and, and, and the kind of world that we're kind of creating um, right now, whether that's ecologically or everything else. It, was, it could well have just been a call into the vertical, mm-hmm. you know, um, understanding soul and understanding the mystical side of your life um, um, seems almost a strange thing to do in our culture whereas you don't have to go too far back when it was completely healthy mm-hmm. like, like a healthy culture would do that mm-hmm. um, now it's like oh woo woo or something like that mm-hmm. and, and you, you made to feel a bit uncomfortable and a bit, a bit out on the limb and so I think maybe the call was, you know, the understanding that the healthy culture requires a relationship with the non-ordinary aspects, not just the surface level material world, which I can touch, mm. you know, um, a relationship with the invisible as much as the visible. Mm. 
we trust Wi-Fi (laughs) (laughs) and we don't even know, like see it or it's not tangible. Let's trust the other invisible. (laughs) 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 Don't trust the spirit. Wi-Fi just happens to be a a sledgehammer. You know, I think um, it's, 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 it's the more subtle energies, isn't it? Mm. Which mm. when we go inwards and we have that quiet time and space is that we actually start to notice those subtleties and can then have that embodiment of practice. But mm. I think, you know, like you said, with the pandemic, we did a spiritual bypass and we're still living in this pace that hasn't changed. Like we've returned back to what was previously with I think you know so many just continuing to live that same that same way, which is yeah. Well, we we want it to go up again. Yeah, we want we want the economy to go up. We want everything to go up. <laughs> you know, there's, there's just not not much not much in the other direction which people were comfortable with. And I think part of the issue was that we were locked down. Yeah, for you know, that's right. So locked down. We quite easily said we were locked up. We didn't. And the same means the same thing. Mm, it's mm. interesting play of words, right? Mm. Yes, true. <laughs> we see. We did, we totally missed that the play of <laughs> words too, as well. The it was out there, right? That they was the opportunity. You know, words are important. Words are spells. <laughs> That's right. Um, I think yeah, one of my key messages to the guys, and we sit together in a circle with men and women, of course. But you know, in the men's work, we talk about you know being precise with your words. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's really interesting when you start to turn inwards, sit in meditation. Have you noticed how many people kind of start to um, cough or clear their throat? You know, <laughs> a lot of lot of throat chakra shit going on. People can't find their words. Um, we overtalk in this culture. We don't listen enough, um, and and we're not precise. You know, we hate silence too. We tend to break the silence with nonsense. Just, just to, so it's not silence. Mm. Um, mm. Lots to consider. Oh, totally. <laughs> I'm just sitting yeah. here, taking it all in and just absorbing it. Yeah, sitting in that silence is golden. Because it's interesting, like when you sit with people and you're silent, it's like always just interesting to see who breaks. Who breaks the conversation first? Because sometimes, mm. and it's like when you're in your body, sometimes you might feel that uncomfortableness mm. or you feel completely held. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. Like even when you go out for a walk in nature, like going to do a hike, everyone has their headphones in or on a call or something like there's little time actually just spent in nature by yourself in that silence, like mm. just being at one with nature, nothing else going on, but there's like that, no, I need to be doing something or that, yeah, uncomfortability with just silence. We're not being we're not yourself. taught that. No. There's, yeah. I yeah. couldn't agree more. And, you know, um, we don't find silence. Silence is the removal of noise. Mm-hmm. So I feel like when people, we're searching for silence, you know, as if it's a thing that's out there. Well, it's just about continually stripping away mm. the noise. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love your way with words. I love you just a very, it's a, you just put it so simply as well. Uh, Thank you. 
enjoying the conversation. <laughs> Doesn't have to be complicated, right, guys? It's that simple. Straightforward. <laughs> Um, maybe could you tell us a little bit about your work with the fifth direction and for those who are listening, those men who are maybe searching for that community and they are looking for something that they could be a part of, and maybe this has piqued their interest. Could you tell us a little bit about more about that work and what that sort of looks like? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll start by saying it's not just for men now. Okay. Um, yeah, we opened the doors at the Fifth Direction to, to women at the beginning of the year. Okay. Um, and so whilst we have um, essentially there's spaces for men and there's spaces for women and then there's a space which we call the village, which is for mm. everyone. So um, mm. and I think that's that's working really, really well. So we have we run women's circles, men's circles, and then kind of everyone's spaces. Mm. Um, and that's, that's, that's been brilliant. It's actually been really interesting because the uptake of women in the fifth direction has been really quick. You know, like like we started in, in 2017, it took us, you know, four years or so to reach a good size number of men, so three or four hundred. Um, but it's only taken a couple of months to, to reach big numbers with, with women. So it, shows, it sort of shows me kind of mm. what's going on. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, women do love to do the work. <laughs> we do step into that a little more easier, but to have that combination of like, well, the duality of the masculine and the feminine. Yeah, it's a really cool thing. But, you know, and, and again, you could ask yourself, why are women more inclined to do the work? Well, you know, if we're talking about it as, as a descent into feminine, and often the first thing you meet is the dark feminine, you know, um, like as I said to all the men, the minute you turn inwards, you know, the first door you open is going to have Carly behind it. Mm-hmm. That's just that's just the way it is, um, which is probably the thing that you fear the most potentially because mm-hmm. obviously Carly is connected to time, is connected to death, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of wrath, a lot of feminine rage, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough place for men to hang out. Yeah. Um, and they actually don't like that part of themselves, so it's the part they've, been, they've severed themselves off from the most, which is interesting. But to, to your question, um, the fifth direction is, is based on um, um, uh, the mythopoetic movement, uh, which began in – so it's very specific. It's not kind of – you know, we, we do things a certain way um, because we're kind of – we feel like we're, we, we, we've taken the baton from that early work that was done and we're, we're trying to move it forward in, in a particular way. So, you know, some it might feel a little bit more sophisticated than, than general kind of um, men, men or women's work, but, but you know that's that's okay. Like we feel like we, we, we we're part of that lineage, and, and that's what we do. So, you know, what is what is mythopoetics? Well, you know, it's not myth and poetry put together. Um, although there's elements of that, it's it's what I call um, um, restoring ourselves, restoring as in you know finding that story inside you. you know, who am I really? And um, and, and releasing some of those self-limiting stories which no longer serve us. And we do that. Um, if we do that, we restore we, we restore ourselves in order to restore the world, restore the world. Mm. You know? So that's what, it, that's what it's really all about. And, yes, you know, we use poetry and myth, and the reason that we do that is because um, to get in touch with that vertical world inside us, we need directed imagination. Um, we need we need to um, reclaim our, our curiosity and imagination that we had when we were a child. 
you know, think about what it was like when you were, you know, being read a bedtime story by your mom and your dad. And it was just so rich what was going on in your mind, you know. Um, and we, but when we disconnect ourselves from that imaginal realm, we completely disconnect ourselves from our inner world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these ancient stories, these ancient myths of uh, um, oral transmissions of, of their compass for how to live life. You know, they're not they're not fairy tales. And, and it's interesting because I always think that when things are important, um, the horizontal world will actually. Um, um, rearrange even the meaning of words so that we get further away from them. Mm. And when I think about the word myth, think about how that's used in the horizontal world right now. Mm-hmm. It means lie. Yeah. Now, what does it actually mean if you look at the etymology of the word? A deep, deep truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And myth is essentially... Um, pre-scientific, it's, it explains things until science comes along and explains it in material world. Mm. You see what I mean? Mm. Completely, yes. So when we recover these stories, you know, and like if I tell a group of men the story of Parcel, so now I'm working in mythos, not ethos, because I'm working in metaphor, not fact. You know? So when I say, you know, when Parcel came at night and left his mum. His mum died on the spot. That's what happens in the story. But it's a metaphor. You know? In that and, 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 and so you see paintings dropping like all over the place and, and men are reclaiming their, their, their imaginal realm and, 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 you know, wherever you land in the story might be what's important for you right now. When we have a discussion, say, in a mythic circle, when we just ask you know, where did you land in the story? What images are we? Don't contextualize it. Don't say, oh, that's like my marriage or that's like my mum or something. Like, just stay with stay with the image um, as long as you can. You know, whatever's bubbling up for you, whichever part of the story you fall in, is probably the, the feather we talked about, you know? And so it's something that you need to work on and let it marinate in your bones and, and, and be with the story for a while without changing it because the vertical, our vertical nature, our soul nature, works with um, nature-based images, with, with symbols, with, with synchronicities, with, with um, um, signs and, 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 and dreams. Um, it doesn't work with, like, words on a written page. Um, you know, the soul works with images. And so that's why, again, poetry, and myth and story, and art, and things like that speak to our soul because that's the language of the soul. Mm, that's beautiful. The language so, of the soul. Mm, I love that. <laughs> Just letting it marinate. It's so. Mm. It is the language, and even with music too. The memories that like music creates. Hundred percent. Yeah. The frequency. Absolutely. Yes. You know, cuts right through. Um, yeah. You know, uh, there are song like I can hear a song and like you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, you'll laugh. There's actually a split-in song. Um, and when it comes on, I'm literally transported back to um, walking home from my first, um, from the parents of my first girlfriend's house when she dumped me yeah. uh, when I was about 14. And, like, I, if I, I could be driving along in the car and I hear that song and I'm right there. Wow. 
you know. The power of the imagination too. Yeah. Taking us back right to that moment of how that Like I feel that same heartbreaking experience. Walking home with my head down and you know, know, unceremoniously dumped and I'm right there again, like the same feeling Mm. as my heart. The body remembers. It's like that. There's lessons there too. And Mm. instead of like then putting on a happy song, why not actually Mm. be with that for a little Mm. while and go, yeah. Mm. Like I died a bit that day. Mm. Yes. Like mm. you know, how did I feel? What did I learn? Maybe go home and journal a little bit. And like go mm. into it instead of finding a distraction mm. to go out of it again. Yeah. And how did then that maybe set a precedent for relationships for the next couple of years, or how I felt about myself, or like have those prompts to inquire within as to why. Yeah. Why we yeah. feel that. Because yeah. those are big um, moments. I think um, mm. there's a plus in it that I remember now, but I'm going to completely butcher it. It's not quite in my mind at the moment. But it's something about um, 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 close introspection creates critical distance. And the idea is that, you know, if you keep getting, if you keep moving towards the pain, keep moving towards the pain closer and closer, all of a sudden you're getting shot back to a 30,000 foot view and you can understand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Because then you get a complete understanding. Yeah. Mm. So it's like, how it's do like- I get closer to the pain? You know, Rumi said the cure for pain is in the pain. Mm. <laughs> I keep going into it, keep going into it, and then all of a sudden you're blown back and, and you get this broad insight about your life. Mm-hmm. So it's like, keep. what can I keep uncovering? What can I keep uncovering? Yeah. Keep- to yeah. get me to that breaking point. Breaking your heart until it opens. <laughs> or you keep repeating the same pattern, isn't it, over and over again until, like well, I said, you get the brick. To, if you don't do this work, you're, you, you're, you're doomed to a life on autopilot. You're doomed mm. to, you know, um, experience comes in and you just react in the way you've always reacted based on your patterns. And You know, it's a bit like you get up in the morning and you turn on your computer and the operating system fires up and it just reacts mm. to whatever you input. That's, I am a robot. You. Unless you look, unless you look <laughs> yeah. at your stuff, that's you. Yeah. Um, and let me tell you, that that operating system is laid down in the first five, the last trimester in the first five years of life. You know that, you guys, obviously. So, mm. so, the converted, so after the age of five, it takes work to change the operating system. It's not going to happen by itself. It's, so everything's laid down. Mm. Um, another mentor of mine, you probably know Bruce Lipton, right? Mm. Um, you know, Bruce says, you know, to try to change the operating system after five, most of us, it's like you hear a song on, on, on your stereo and you start not liking it after a while because it's just on repeat. And he goes, the vast majority of us just sit on the couch and yell at the CD players, change. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you've got to actually get up off the couch and go and change the play CD. <laughs> That's and a great it's, uh, it's a good metaphor. Get up and change oh. yourself because no one else is going to change it for you. We're so lazy. That's right. You know, it's going to be Groundhog Day unless you you do something about it. But it does mean looking at, you know, all your, all the uncomfortable shit. Mm, Yeah. And the words, like you were saying, how words um, are spells and the words that we use around, you know, certain moments in our life and the words that we might frequently used that we don't know actually the power behind them and what they're doing, especially as a parent and 
having those, you know, first moments with your child when they start speaking and, you know, what you say to your child, I feel like that would just also instill either, you know, fear or whatever it is within them. Like I think there's so much power in that. But, yeah, like how how do we learn exactly which words to use, you know, are these impressionable little beings? Yeah, and, that, and that's it. That's where they're getting their operating system from in those first mm. months of life. It's the people that are close to them. It's the parents. It's the, you know, teachers. It's the, it's the guides. It's, it's, you know, those ones that play that kind of a role in their life. It's very, very mm. important. The, the words that you use, you know, I have this little mantra for myself, um, particularly when it comes to, like, you know, the inner child, you know, which we all need to, I think a lot of learning to be an adult is actually learning how to um, um, parent yourself. <laughs> to, to parent that inner child inside you, I think that's part of the game, you know. But um, I, you know, I'm getting better. But you know, in my past, I've definitely had a very loud inner critic. Um, you know, I often wonder actually when someone calls you a name, why I get offended because I'm like, I call myself much worse. <laughs> <laughs> There's worse things going on, <laughs> <laughs> which is interesting. But I've sort of got this little mantra now when I'm, you know, I've got a little eight-year-old son, Jack, and. Um, I kind of say, um, don't speak to myself in a way that I wouldn't speak to him. Mm. You know what I mean? In the sense that, you know, if I say, oh, God, you know, stop being an asshole to myself, it's like, well, I would never say that to Jack. Mm. So if I'm learning how to reparent myself and be with my inner child, I've got no business speaking to myself that way. So my, my rule of thumb with the inner voice is, would I say that to Jack? And if the answer is no, well, then I'm not saying it to myself. That's a great way. That's a good practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even you saying that, I'm like, oof, <laughs> definitely. We're all like that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're our own harshest critics. Oh, and totally. um, if you think about the fact that, you know, inside that little rib cage in a cage is, is, is mm. a little girl mm. or a little boy, and that's how you're talking to them, well, how do you expect them to be? Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Our poor little selves. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we honestly, we so, treat ourselves like shit most of the time. We do. We're harsh. So hard on ourselves. Yeah. And putting big expectations out there and expecting us to fulfill them. And if we don't, to the, you know, perfect way that we see fit, then there's so much negative self-talk. Yeah. And, you know, one way around that is to actually, you know, and this is contrary to, what we hear in the world, lower your signs. Mm. You know, I mean, I think, you know, like we say to our children, like we say to ourselves, oh, you can do anything. Mm. Like, that's, a very, that's a very ascensionist view. Mm. And the answer is, sorry, no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> you're, actually, you're actually here to do something very, very specific. Yeah. And, you know, like if Jack says to me, you know, um, uh, I don't say, we don't say to him, you can be anything you want, go and be an astronaut. Mm. You just, uh, you just, you just get a traumatize him when he mm. probably doesn't make it because you know, think about the percentage of people that end up making that a reality. Setting them up for failure. Yeah. So well, they're going to have to do more work when they're older. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you have infinite potential and you can be anything and do anything you want is, is is incorrect. I think we need to say you're here to be and do something very specific. Go find it, mm. and, and we will nurture your creativity and your talents and your skills in the way that they seem to be producing themselves and manifesting themselves, we will nurture that. Yes. Even if it doesn't mean you'll end up being a lawyer because 
that's an easy way for a parent to keep our child safe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think it's like we have come through, and I'm sure you're the same, Asher, as well, Bella. Like we're, I feel like we're undoing, I mean, look, we all come in with programming, don't we? Um, is that we're undoing all of our sort of like trauma as children from our parents and no doubt, you know, I'm glad that we do do the work, um, you know, to raise the kids in a conscious way but there's still going to be imprints that we leave. Of oh, course. no doubt. <laughs> One of my friends is a child psychologist and he laughs and he says everyone fucks up their children, it's just you don't find out how until they're adults. That's right. <laughs> 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 so- that's so true. Yeah, and, and it's not just our, our, our immediate environment growing up that creates all, all those traumas. You know, matter it's ancestrally given. Yes, mm. true. Now we've got you know mm. ecological aspect to that we always had. It's just more prevalent and, and mm. seeable right now. Yeah. Um, there's all kinds of things that are going on. Right? Constantly strip. We I feel like it's like we're constantly stripping away the layers. Um, or we're constantly getting those big knocks or the feather tick or the feather tickles. Um, and it's whether we're actually listening and whether we create the space for us to be able to, to work mm. through that. Um, and sometimes too, it is nice to be able just to switch that off occasionally too, right? Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that if it's done with awareness. You know, this yeah. is an issue. I mean, you know, one of the founders of the mytho poetic movement was Robert Bly, you know, and he, he's got wonderful little book called, it's actually called The Little Book of the Human Shadow. But in, it, in it, he talks about um, the fact that we're all kind of carrying this bag of shit, you know, which has got all these different traumas in it, you know, and um, if we don't do the work, we literally just hand a heavier bag of shit down to our children. Yeah. Um, and you need to actually stop. And, and the work of working on the shadow is actually opening the bag, um, you know, and, his, and looking inside and, and dealing with whatever's there so that we don't, you know, hand it down. Um, and, you know, my view is, that, you know, we're not going to hand our children an empty bag. But mm-hmm. if we can hold the view that we want to give them a lighter one than the one we have, um, I think that that's, that's kind of a good starting point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? yeah. So that we've done some of the work and we're not just giving them more crap, we're giving them totally. some of the less. Yes. And they've got the tools also too then to be able to, to deal with that, to be equipped with that because mm-hmm. it hasn't so, just been shut down. It's like, no, we need to look at that. Um, and that's yeah, even we, 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 we avoid looking in the back shit. Yeah. So, you know, there are so many ways of doing that in, in our culture. Mm. You know, everything from pornography to gambling to the television to social media. To, you know, these are all just distractions mm. from looking in the back. Mm. <laughs> um, totally. And, yeah. The next you know, And it's not to say our bags are mm. small, you know, and they're, and they're, 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 they're monstrously sized and, mm. and, and, daunting as hell like mm. you know it takes a lot of courage which is a hard word isn't it? you know to mm. actually look in the back um, i remember robert Bly being asked when he was trying to explain this metaphor to a group of people and someone said to him well, you know how big's your bag and he said well i don't know eight nine miles totally Totally. It's like you said, we don't just ascend to some higher place and, you know, we have clear bags for the rest of our lives. Like that's not, that's not realistic. And and, and if you've met someone who's doing the spiritual bypassing and spiritual work, you know, they've been off for their ayahuasca weekend or whatever and they're completely ungrounded. Mm. 
the words that they use, it just, it's, it's completely unanchored. It's mm. up in the sky and, the, the, you know, flying boys, flying girls are like Peter Pan. <laughs> and, 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 they, and there's no depth. Mm. Yes. Sometimes you've got to actually um, sacrifice a little bit of, um, um, you know, the heightiness for a little bit of depth. Mm. Yeah. And there's obviously people searching for this depth because there's, you know, more and more yoga studios popping up and meditation courses and teachers and more and more ayahuasca ceremonies or plant medicine ceremonies. Like there is that search. I feel like that's increasing and maybe because we're having more and more distractions. So there's that, you know, trying to balance out with the shiny new objects. I want to try and ground down, but it doesn't seem to be always the right way to go about it. it? Yeah. I see that a lot living up here, you know, Byron Bay is a lot of spiritual refugees up here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people like to go to the yoga class, to go to the meditation class, but what are they really doing other than sort of floating above their problems? Mm-hmm. You know, if you hear from a meditation teacher, you know, don't think. It's like, oh, cool, I get to avoid my, sh- my bag of shit for an hour and I feel like I'm doing something in the vertical plane. Yeah. You're not. You've got to have deep roots to start with again. Mm-hmm. Learning yeah. to swim in the dirt before you walk on the water, God. and there's a lot of teaching people how to walk on the water without, you know, they're like they're like kites that are tied to the ground. <laughs> Maybe the only time we ascend is when we actually, you know, transmute across to or transcend to the afterlife. Right? Mm. There's nothing wrong with no. spiritual practices. I just think that it has to have some balance. Does mm. has to yeah. have that yin and yang and that yeah, you've got to have groundedness. Yeah. You do, um, mm. and, and as I said, spiritual practice without that soulful depth is masculine. Mm. Yeah, that's why mm. we, we. That's why God is a he. That's why um, we. You know, the truth of it is, for me, you know, we live on a planet Earth, like it should be the creatrix. <laughs> you know, it should be a mother god, right? And we can't handle that um, mm. because that actually involves looking at death and looking at the cycles of nature, which involves, you know, is cyclical and things end and things begin again. And, you know, we just like kind of upward structure where we just descend into heaven. Mm. And that's, that's how it goes. And that's, I guess it's even like with women, like we have, we have that every month, but we're not taught about that with our menstrual cycle. Because we're given things like the contraceptive pill that that uniquely shuts down that biological feedback. So there is a complete, you're numb. So you're disconnected. Mm. Um, Essentially the best metaphor there is, I think, and as a man, obviously it's difficult for me to to understand what that could be or feel like in in an embodied way. But as a metaphor, it's, it's, I don't think there's any better. Mm. You know, with the blood and all the like, the whole mm. thing is just—it's so deeply rooted. Yeah. Um, in a soul practice. Yes. Yeah. You know, we're again. You know, it's almost um, it, it, you know, denying that is is part of this huge part of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said earlier, it was like it's about the sacred. It's coming back to those sacred practices. Mm. Everything is sacred. Mm, true. It, it's up to you. Sacred yeah. is, is, is only about intention. Mm. 
Yeah. Why can't every conversation you have with another human being be a medicine set? Yeah. Like the only difference is we call it that and we, we set our intentions in the beginning so it becomes mm. sacred. But mm. every conversation is sacred. Mm. You just have to call it. Mm. Right? Yeah. You, sitting you don't need, medicine. you know, sage and drums and, and all of a sudden it's sacred. It's, you, mm. that, all that is is naming your intention. Mm. You're creating so that space. You, you, can, you can have sacredness in a cup of tea and mm. you know, death is in every cup of tea. That's the Zen kind mm. of, you know, this idea. And what that means is really fucking taste the tea that might be the last one you ever had. <laughs> one day, one day it will yeah. <laughs> that's and true. That's, that's calling you into presence. Mm. Right? Yeah. So if you like coffee in the morning, don't like make it a sacred act. Mm. Like, mm. Really taste it. You know, I love this. This is this is the joy of living. Mm. So, you know, don't do it while you're on a phone call or, you know, mm. distracted. Like be with it. If that's what you're doing every single day and you decide to spend five bucks on it. Make it sacred. You do it. You're doing it. Like you, mm. it's been called that. There's an intention there. You're just not naming it. Mm. Yeah. It really it changes everything when you say it like that. Yeah. Because yeah. then it does. It brings you into that moment of just being present. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. and it's death practice. Like I believe that we should be doing. We should be having death practices all the time. Daily death practices. Mm. It's like um, memento mori. It's mm. a memento mori. That thing. You know. It's um. That is something that. that I'm going to do. I haven't done my timeline of my like oh, moments of death. Yeah, yeah I'm, gonna, I'm yeah. actually going to do that. Same. Well, and also oh. ask yourself, um, you know, really beautiful questions around it too. Like, if, um, if you're sitting with um, a little death and you're and you're grieving it, one that's perhaps just come up with you for you on your timeline, ask yourself, like, how do I tell that story at the moment? Mm. Like, retell yourself the story of how you speak about that moment. Mm. And you'll undoubtedly see that it's, it's self-limiting, mm. and it's like, how can I speak that in a way which is actually nourishing and promoting expansion, mm. rather than making me small? Mm. Yeah. So it's like, how do I speak about that right now? How do I speak about the death of my mom? How do I speak about the death of my sister? Is it in a self-limiting way if somebody asks me about it or is it life-enhancing? Yes. Um, Yes. Because it's also like the stories that we attach to things that happen in our lives. Like I remember someone that I used to look up to, um, he used to say, problems in our life are just events associated with stories that we attach to them. So if we get rid of the stories or change the stories that we have around them, we don't have problems anymore because sometimes we're attracted to the dramatic story that we hold around it because that gives us some sort of value or like, okay, I know, you know, I have this and da 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 da, but we can actually just detach from our problems at any stage when we just let go of the stories that we hold on to them. Yeah, or let go of the self-limiting. Yeah, 
Um, but yeah, he's right in the sense mm-hmm. that, you know, we are intrinsically human beings are just stories. You know, we're just, mm-hmm. we're just meaning making machines. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We're just a whole bundle of stories. That's how we are. Mm-hmm. So it's up to you. you know, yeah. It really is up to you. I mean, I've got a wonderful example of that if I can share. Um, to, you know, because yeah. obviously, you know, I, 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 I continue to journey with cancer. Blood cancer, right? And so, when you're in that world, you should hear the self-limiting stories that you hear, and how, how powerful the words are. Um, like the word cancer, for example. You know, um, lots of people, as much as they'd like to be cured, um, they um, it would take away their identity mm-hmm. because they identify in the world as a cancer story, right? And if you took that away, maybe they wouldn't get as much empathy, or they wouldn't get as much. Um, compassion or that we can get as much love or the things that they think that they derive from having cancer. So there's this kind of weird thing going on. And a great example of that is when I first got diagnosed um, with what's called a, a myeloproliferative neoplasm, which is a kind of, it's, it's blood cancer. But at the time, um, the World Health Organization hadn't labeled it a cancer. They, called, they just called it a, a chronic blood disorder, right? And during my time with it, it was relabeled cancer. And mm-hmm. literally everybody with it started freaking out. Like, I've got cancer, I've got cancer. And I had like people on the forums that I'm on going, Oh my God, you know, I've woken up the cancer. What do you think? And it was like, I, like, call it whatever, call it mm-hmm. Fred. I mean, I, I, nothing's <laughs> changed. <laughs> like, I'm no different from the person I was yesterday. Yeah. So, you know, attaching yourself to the story of cancer all of a sudden completely changed these people's lives mm-hmm. um, with anxiety and all this other stuff. Yet what was going on in their body was literally no different than mm-hmm. it was today before. Mm-hmm. It's just a story. Totally, yes. Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> so, I think we're so like, like you said, we do, we just attach so much. Everything is a story mm. and how much have we attach ourselves to that story. Mm. Oh, it's yeah. Just, yeah. And like you said, it's the mythology, isn't it? It's the myth story. So you're recreating that story in your courses. Yeah, to, is yeah, it to rewrite the story? or? Yeah, for us Australians, we don't have cultural story. And I think that's part of the problem that I'm seeing. Um, because we, we're not attached to anything. And you can see, mm. you know, you can see how um, we, we're desperately trying to find one. Because we don't have any culture. Ours is like Vegemite and thongs. That's, <laughs> but that's right? exactly it, right? Yeah. And Holden cars and you know, yeah. commercials about it and stuff like that. But, you know, it, it doesn't – because we're, we're a big – you know, hodgepodge of people from all sorts of different mm. cultures and communities and stuff like that, apart from our real story, which is right, right beneath our feet, which is Indigenous culture. Mm. But for us, that's attached to an enormous amount of shame mm. and, and, and also okay. we can't claim it, right? Yeah. It's not, it's just not, um, it's, not, it's, not it's clearly inappropriate. So mm. what do we do? We, we try Anzac, it's been a big story. Great. Now we're attaching our origin story, our cultural story to more war, you know. Mm. So, so therefore we cling to things like football and Benjamin pies and things that you said because it's very shallow. It's no roots, is so, it? You know, we've become disorientated oh. and, and, and there's no depth to us, you know, it's the indigenous 
like to, to say about us, you know, latecomers, we're only three days deep. Yeah. Well, how can yeah, we be connected? Years deep. Right. Mm. How Unless... can we connected if we've got no roots mm. either? In terms of like, we've all got roots as of where we come from, but being able to connect to those. Um, well, like none that, is, none all that is... says Australian. Mm. You know, we always like I go back, and if I want to find my roots, I say, okay, well, you know, I can talk about Russian mythology because of my mum, um, or I can talk about you know, English Celtic history because of my dad. Yeah. That's where I naturally go when I'm looking at my ancestral roots. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. the story is, oh, dad came out here when he was 26 because you know he was in the navy and blah 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 mm. blah. That's that's just a yeah. shallow horizontal mm. kind of um, yeah. just blurting out some factual stuff. Mm. Mm. Yeah, let's get mm. deeper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's intriguing, isn't it? it really, yeah, this, I really this is what leads up to the myth of poetics and back to the to why, um, um, you know, mythology is so important. And obviously, we're based, um, you know, very much in kind of Jungian depth psychology. That's kind of the, the 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 way the construct that we use in terms of in terms of the work that we do. So it's this kind of um, combination of ancient myth, ancient story. You know, poetry and art and creative expression kind of all underpinned with the kind of Jungian philosophy. That's that's where it is. So as I said, it's, it's a little bit more sophisticated, but it's not really. Like, you know, this conversation, I'm sure people listening, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's, it's fairly straightforward. Yeah, like yeah. you said, it's those, you know, embracing those simple practices of sitting with your morning coffee, like sitting in ritual with those small practices throughout your day and trying to you know maintain in the present it comes back to that simplicity like just yeah winding it back drawing it back but yeah, 100%. you know why not literally take a walk around your block where you live mm. um with your feet firmly planted in your mythic ground and not mm. your ethos ground you know, mm. and one way to do that is to stop naming stuff. Yeah. You know, it's like a car goes by and I go, that's a car, <laughs> that's a bird, that's a person, that's a house. And the reason that I do that is because there's this perception that if I'm able to label something that I'll be safe because mm. I know what it is. Yeah. You know, and one way of stepping out of that and finding your mythic territory is to actually see if you can go 10 minutes without naming shit. <laughs> <laughs> Is that possible? <laughs> I don't know. Go find really? out. <laughs> Go find out. I'm also allowing do that the symbols and images to come through, right? You know, mm. like you see a feather on the path, it's like notice it and pay attention. Mm. And some of these things, you know, I'm sure you guys are doing already, but it's just bringing more and more and more awareness to like go for mm. a, go for a mythic walk around around the block rather than mm. a, 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 a rational. totally i'm gonna do that this afternoon (laughs) (laughs) you'll be amazed what comes up you know um, you'll smile to someone as well you'll put you know yeah connection when you pass people rather than just being totally distracted Mm. 100 you know um you know even asking the question you know the fact that you guys pass exactly that moment is there's a meaning there's meaning to that it's not it's not nothing let's Mm. go deep why did i pass you (laughs) Yes. <laughs> you say it's so deep because it's part of depth work, you know, it's yeah. part of soul work. 
it's, it's, it's all there, even in the language that we use. Um, it's, it's utterly amazing. But, you know, talking about the things that we see when we walk, and Jung said that anything repressed, anything in our deep unconscious, um, the only way that it can talk to you and make itself, um, make you aware of it is by manifesting things in the world. Mm. You know, back to the feather, the brick, and the train. Like that's your repressed, unconscious part of yourself manifesting things in the world so that you pay attention to your soul, so that you pay attention to stuff, right? Mm. Um, you know, he said, if you don't look at it, you'll just call it fate. Mm. But it's not fate. Okay. It's 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 your invisible life manifesting itself. And it's your, your creation. Reality or fate or whatever. It's, it's yeah. just calling to you. Yeah. That's your creation. That's your doing. That's absolutely mm. right. And it has to manifest in one way or another. Mm. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the way and, that you brought that you know, back. We, my- it's, it's interesting territory because if you don't listen, it will take your life. Mm. Yeah. Because, you know, your physical death is not, not that important in the scheme of things to yourself. Mm. So mm. it's like, look, you know, I'm just going to keep on increasing the noise. Mm. manifesting in the world and eventually eventually you might just lose your life Mm. Mm. wow this has been a really amazing amazing discussion (laughs) I'm excited to go on my poetic walk and write down my death timeline (laughs) yeah Yeah. I think that's yeah that's important work but like Mm. you said because you you know I think sometimes when you start that spiritual practice, you, you know, get kind of caught up in just following the trends and you go through the motions of that spiritual bypass. But like you said, like, this is the work, this is where it starts. And this is where those deep truths are revealed and, you know, learning more about ourselves. Which... Yeah. Going to the uncomfortable places. I think, mm. Bella, I think you know, the... <laughs> We, we love what's comfortable, don't we? And it's mm. like, um, so we, even when we, 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 we take that into this kind of spiritual soul work as well, we just do the things that, that are easier, which we think we're, we're good at. You know, like um, when I had our physical location in Melbourne, the fifth direction, it was just a regular gym downstairs. And then we did the meditation and the, so it was barbells and things downstairs. And then upstairs it was, you know, meditation and the circles and all the breath work and all those things. And I used to laugh with, with, with Duncan, you know, the, co-owner there and I used to say everybody downstairs needs to be upstairs and everyone upstairs needs to be downstairs because they're just going to what's easy for them you know hey guys today we're doing a switcheroo (laughs) do you see what I mean though yeah the shock horror yeah (laughs) totally yeah we just you know like 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 the young kid who's got father issues and and you know ends up you know like being the size of a brick of shit house with all the weights that he's Lifted. It's because he feels like he's doing something mm. against that gnawing sense in his gut when mm. you're really working on the stuff of his dad. Mm. Yeah. Connecting to the grief. Mm. Yeah. You know, and, and then it gets doubled down because, you know, maybe back home in his parents' house, if he says, I'm going to the gym, well, then how are we going to stop it? Because you know, it's quote unquote good things and wrong with the brain. Totally. So, it, you know, it all gets justified and doing the work but you kind of kind of perpetuating it yeah yeah exactly 
I think, uh, you know, it's going to be, and even just the takeaway from this today is even, you know, talking about those death moments with the kids as well and giving them the space to be able to to grieve in that um, and just to be able to process their emotions. Mm. Mm. 100%. You know, I think it starts very early, you know, like, you know, and I know we're getting getting on here, but, you know, things are popping up in my mind. But, you know, in, in one of the death workshops that I ran, um, um, I remember a man turning up and he just was just like, like so, um, you know, catatonically petrified about, about death. And, you know, we started talking about his early um, childhood and he said that he remembered, like, um, being in the family car and, like, and if, a, if a hearse drove past... Like he remembers his mum saying, don't look at that, close your eyes, turn around, don't look, don't look, don't look. Oh. And it's like, oh, man, well, you know. God. <laughs> it's been programmed in at such an early yeah. age. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And that's those imprints. Mm. Watching those words. Yeah, yes. and, you know, whereas when I'm running my death workshops, like for him, um, you know, my suggestion was buy a cut rose and, and put it in a vase and actually spend some time every day watching it die mm-hmm. and understand that the reason why you think it's so beautiful is directly connected to the fact that it dies mm. because it's, got, it's, it's limited and you watching it wilt every day is an expression of such beauty but what's giving you what's giving it that beauty is the fact is death mm. you know, it's, death is the purveyor of beauty in our world mm. You know, it's, why, why do you think we love our partners so much? Because we know subconsciously that one day they're going to die. One of us is going to die first. Mm. And, you know, there's this, there's this contract that we make. It's like, I'll, I'll, I'll carry that burden. And mm. that's love. Mm. And it's connected to death. You only know you've got a certain amount of days. So go out and enjoy them with that person. You know, it's what makes us climb Everest. It's what makes us paint the Sistine Chapel. Mm. Death. Mm-hmm. The fact that we're at least in his physical body fine. So profoundly that's said. So profound. <laughs> wow. That's, I think, a beautiful way to, to end <laughs> this discussion. That's... Yeah, because we hate ending. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's end on the death note. Let's, on the, let's, let's on, let end on the beauty, on that beauty mm. of death. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, mm-hmm. let's use it as the final metaphor. It's like I've mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed this conversation, and I don't really want to say goodbye. But you know what? It's going to make me feel. I can't wait to have the next conversation with you guys. Yeah, that's it. it out for the next three hours, and we and it was infinite. I get really bored of it. Start to phase out. What's going on over there? What's that tree doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> the desire that we feel around wanting to reconnect with people and all that, it's connected to that. So mm. you know, get, think about how often you – here's another one last practice I'm going to give you guys <laughs> and we will avoid doing it this time and say goodbye afterwards. But how often do you stand on the doorstep and start talking about inane crap trying to say goodbye to somebody? <laughs> we don't like endings. <laughs> so like, you know, one practice is just say, oh take care. Bye for now and just leave it at that. It's almost <laughs> comedian. I feel like I'm mad. I feel like we do that. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. Oh, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs>
do some great comedy skits around that in like in <laughs> making death okay, right? Yeah, and all these like endings. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, you have so to have a laugh. Lovely people that we don't do that. No. <laughs> no. I'm going to say goodbye. Take care. Thank you, Asha. Goodbye. That was, really wonderful. Oh, that was beautiful. Oh, I'm so excited to share Thank this with you. our community. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.